Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Today's podcast is ostensibly about Star Wars The Force Awakens, but before I get into the movie itself, I want to talk about Star Wars in general. So for the moment, there are no spoilers, and what I'll do is when I get to the point where I'm talking about the new movie, I'll yell out something like spoiler alert so you know it's coming. So at the moment, if you just want to listen in and listen to my thoughts about Star Wars without being having the movie spoiled, please feel free to listen for a little while until I get to that point. So, I'm a big fan of Star Wars. The original movie, Star Wars, that later became called A New Hope, came out when I was about 10 years old, and I thought it was just fascinating. I went to see it with my family, and we sat in the theater. It must have been maybe opening night, maybe the night after we went and saw it, and it was so much fun. It transported me to another world, and there was so many interesting things happening there. It was so intricate, and there was, the storyline was great. And I thought George Lucas did a really nice job of kind of encapsulating some sort of a futuristic story, or actually a past story, that kind of captured some imagination and really did some interesting things. I was so enthralled by the movie that I probably saw it, I would say, at least a dozen times over the course of that summer of 1977. It was just an amazing thing. Now, remember in 77, there weren't any video games. There weren't any great TV shows. You know, TV went off at 10 o'clock at night. There weren't any channels dedicated to any one thing. So you played outside a lot, and you hang out with your friends, and you did different things. It was a different world. So movies were an integral part of that, and we used to go to the movies a lot. And when a good movie would come out, you'd see it many times. And this one was no exception. It was, it was just phenomenal. It was just a great time going to that movie and just capturing all the little nuggets and tidbits. And over time, I learned the entire dialogue, which was kind of interesting. And I was able to repeat the entire dialogue to people. And I just loved it. I thought it was just a phenomenal movie. I thought they did such a great job of kind of capturing the moment. Now, George Lucas was kind of a genius in a way, or ingenious in a way, because he was able to take the, the idea of the movie and put it into something that actually worked. Most people thought it was kind of hokey, even uh, Alec Guinness. Sir Alec had to say that he thought it was going to be just this hokey film uh, when it first came out, and he thought it was still was kind of silly after it came out and couldn't understand why people were so captivated by it. Now, Alec Guinness is a wonderful actor, and he'd appeared in many films, and I love some of his work anyway, but having him here lended that air of authenticity, somebody who was really interesting and had something else to say that seemed a little more credible in some ways. Yeah, some of the masks were rubber and there weren't anything there wasn't anything that really kind of stood out to you as being like, wow, this is this is just phenomenal. The story was just so good, and he did enough to transport you to somewhere else. The other thing he did was he created a whole 
new way of creating stop-motion animations. There had been other people before him who had created all these animations and stop-motion things that really worked, and they kind of told the story that way, that they could show something that was kind of shot over time with different background images, and they can superimpose things. But he really took it to a new level. And uh, George Lucas invented a whole bunch of technology to do that, and that's how Industrial Light and Magic got started. That's the uh, offshoot company that created a lot of the special effects that you see. And for a movie of its time, that was just amazing. It really incorporated a lot of interesting elements and became a very fascinating sort of movie because it really did capture the spirit. You felt, to a degree, like you were in space or you were with them or you were doing something and you were kind of on this story with Luke Skywalker. So really kind of interesting. And George was also ingenious in the fact that he took some amount of money for it but also got the rights to distribute the toys. So he made royalties on all the toys that were sold. And that's really where he made his fortune. And... At the time, he came up with episode one, uh, or it was actually episode four, it was Star Wars, and he wanted to create another one behind it. So he created uh, The Empire Strikes Back to come out about three years later. And arguably, The Empire Strikes Back is a better film. It had a better sense of imagination, a little more sweeping. It told a more of a complete story and filled in so many gaps about some of the characters you'd met. It was really kind of neat the way he did that. So he really took it to a new level. Now, somewhere in there, he had said, I want to make a total of nine films. I want to do these three would be like the middle part. I want to do a, a sequel that would be another three films. And then I want to do a prequel as well. And by the time he got to the third film, The uh, Return of the Jedi, he had kind of decided that he didn't want to continue on that path. He wanted to just go to making the three films and stop there. So he did. He took a break after the three films. And it was over the course of nine-ish years that he created those three films and he took a break. And the break lasted for almost 20 years, and he came back later and said, you know, I, I think I could make some more films. And that's when he created episodes 1, 2, and 3. And he was asked at the time about whether he intended to create 7, and 8, and 9, and he said, no, I never intended to create 9 films, which is completely untrue because he had said that at some point. Believe me, I was keeping up with everything that was going on, and it was fascinating to me that he was thinking about 9 films. So it was really kind of neat that he, that he had that. And the fact that he was coming back to do the other three was really kind of interesting because he really would tell the rest of the story and fill in more blanks. So a couple of things I wanted to point out to you about the, uh, the original trilogy. One is that he had thought about creating a character called Luke Starkiller. So Starkiller was an interesting name, and then he decided that Starkiller really wasn't right, so he called it Skywalker instead. He kind of changed the name to Skywalker. And one of the other things I wanted to mention was when I went to see the first film with my family, I turned to my dad during the film. You know, here come the stormtroopers onto the ship that's holding C-3PO and R2 in episode four. And they're coming on, and I'm like, I turn to my dad and I go, who are the good guys? And he goes, I really don't know. And that's a theme that I think kind of holds through to all the stories, is that it's a little unclear while we objectively go out and we say the good guys are the ones who are fighting with the Jedi and on the good side, and the bad guys are the Empire and all the other people, you have to wonder from a point of view if he was trying to make it slightly ambiguous intentionally. And I'll talk about that again in a minute, too. Just kind of keep that in mind as you think about some of the storylines and the way he put things together. Then for episode six, originally, George had come up with the idea of calling it Revenge of the Jedi. But there was a problem with that inherently. He had had Yoda talking about how hate, fear, all these things that, that are kind of on the negative side of human nature would be more attuned, in tune with what the evil side, the dark side, might say. So they would be more things that you would think about with somebody like a Vader rather than somebody who was working as a Jedi like Luke Skywalker. So by originally titling it Revenge of the Jedi, it didn't really work because revenge was not something he'd want the Jedi to do. And again, back to that theme about what's good and what's bad, 
And why would revenge be a bad thing? It's kind of a kind of a fine line you dance. So he renamed it Return of the Jedi at some point and came up with the, the new title for the film. So he had already released some materials that said Revenge of the Jedi. In fact, I think I had a trading card, I may still have it somewhere, that says Revenge of the Jedi on it. And it's kind of funny how that works, because Revenge of the Jedi is not the kind of theming that he wanted to have. And at some point he goes, no, 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 I had never intended to call it Revenge of the Jedi. It didn't really work. It kind of tells a different story and fills things in a little differently, if you think about it, as he wasn't even sure what was good and what was evil and how, did they, how they all fit together. So flash forward the 20 years after the uh, sixth episode came out. I know, always confusing because it's four, five, and six, and then one, two, and three. So he goes to put together The Phantom Menace, episode one, and it doesn't do well at the box office. It's kind of a flop in the sense of the actors aren't that good, the storyline is a little weak, there's too much CGI in it, there's not enough compelling story to really tell you what's going on. And then he comes out with episode two that's also a little weak, maybe better than the first one, and then the third one comes out, and it's pretty good because it starts to fill in the gaps between what happened in the original prequel and then the uh, original trilogy. So it starts to fill it in a little bit. But that period of time in there where you have one and two just kind of falls apart a little bit. And it, George Lucas kind of fell apart. George Lucas didn't really do as good a job of, of really telling the story as he could have. The actors were too stiff. The story and lines were a little weak. And they had too many things in there that didn't really fit. Jar Jar Binks, for example. Why is he there? He doesn't really fit in the storyline, and maybe he had some other things in mind. If you read internet rumors and so forth, maybe Jar Jar was a Jedi in disguise, or maybe he was working for the Sith, maybe he was manipulating people. Hard to say what it was, but if he had used that to his advantage, maybe the stories would have been better. But as it is, you, you learn a little bit about who the Empire is and how they came to be, that you had this guy who was out there and he was the Chancellor. And he was trying to obtain ultimate power, and he was using all these other political tools and things to get him there, uh, he had learned from some other really bad dude who had gone away and learned, tried, to, tried to find out the secret to eternal life. And in the meantime, he had taken on an apprentice in Darth Maul. And Darth Maul was a great character, and unfortunately, he, he gets killed off in Episode 1 because he was really one of the most engaging characters of that story. And then Darth Sidious, or the Chancellor, takes on another former Jedi to be his apprentice. And we learn about this clone army that's out there, and we don't know why the army's been created, we don't know what it's going to be used for, but it was created by a Jedi. So when it comes time to learn about the Death Star, and actually there's plans for a Death Star, the only way to counteract that is to use the Jedi and the clone army to go after it, and then to go after all these factions. And here's the Chancellor, the puppet master behind the scenes, pulling all the strings, getting the clone army and the Jedi to do his bidding and take away all his political rivals so he can become the Supreme Chancellor. What a clever thing. You know, if you think about the story from that perspective, it really does play well. And it makes a lot of sense, and it kind of builds to something more. So then he actually has the clone army turn on the Jedi and kill the Jedi. And ex with the exception of Obi-Wan and Yoda, who go off into hiding, they're all killed off. And that's where the storyline of Episode Four picks up. And it's kind of clever the way it kind of plays out. If you think about it just like that and take away all the abstract things and all the things that don't really fit... The story actually does work. It took me many watchings to come to a point where I was actually comfortable with it, and I could say, okay, I can watch episode one, and it's okay. It, it, uh, it really is pretty clever, the way the story actually fits together. And so all of these things, and the, you know, the way Anakin became dark, too long and too drawn out, and a little bit too theatrical in the way it happens, it doesn't really happen in quite the right way, but it does work. It kind of comes together in a way where it, it does, you see him becoming evil, and you see him kind of getting manipulated by the Chancellor to become that guy who the Chancellor is going to use as his right-hand man. 
the most powerful Jedi he can find, the most powerful person he can find to be his apprentice and really take on everything and be the supreme leader and have this right-hand man who can pretty much destroy anybody. So kind of clever. So then you get to 4, 5, and 6, and it kind of tells the story. And it, uh, it goes through the rest of the storyline, and it kind of fits together. Now, the, the funny thing about all of this is, if you look at the big picture of who's right and who's wrong, who's good, who's evil, you can make a case that actually the Jedi are evil, or perhaps the Sith are evil. You could kind of look at it multiple different ways. I like the fact that George Lucas left it a little bit open to interpretation. The easy analysis, the quick way to look at it, is just go, hey, it's obvious that the Empire or the Sith were the bad guys, and the Jedi were the good guys. Not so obvious if you really look at it and look at the storyline. What he's done is he's developed this imperial senate, this republic that's grown up and done all these different things. And you have this one guy who's trying to manipulate it and take control. You have the Jedi in there who are supposed to be the people who enforce order and do things to help keep the peace in the galaxy. But are they really doing that? Are they that altruistic or do they have ulterior motives? Because as you start hearing about some of these other Jedi, the guy who set up the clone army, the one guy who turns to go to the dark side... Are they really the heroes of the story, or are they really the bad guys? You know, it's open to interpretation, I think, is the way George Lucas intentionally did it, to make you think about it a little bit. If you take a deeper look, you realize that it's not as simple as looking at good and evil. There's shades of gray in here. And it's not clear who's who. And that's why when you come to the stories about the Jedi Council and the chambers that they're in and the kinds of discussions they have, very political. And, you know, they're, they're siding with the Republic, and they're siding with the guys who are trying to take on the Sith. But the Sith may or may not be bad. They're just trying to manipulate things for their own power. Then there's all these other factions that come up, and all these other people that, that start to develop these, these little factions that do things. And as you look at them, what Sidious is trying to do, or the Chancellor, is he's trying to take all of them out. He's trying to kill them all. He's trying to destroy everybody. And you kind of think about it and you go, wait, what just happened there? What, you know, what, who are the bad guys and who are the good guys here? It becomes much less clear who's good and who's evil when you start thinking about it that way. And I just found that really interesting. And then you come to realize that Yoda, while he's so wise and old and he's got all these great things going for him, you realize that he doesn't have a clear vision. And he talks about other people being clouded by the dark side and other things and it's clear that he has no understanding of it, and perhaps he's a little, bit, a little bit naive about the whole thing because he doesn't see it. He doesn't see the Chancellor as being the bad guy, and he doesn't see that how everything is kind of developing. He just sees disturbances in the Force, and then he realizes that Anakin has much fear in him, and he doesn't want to train him, and he doesn't want anybody else to train him to become a Jedi. And he realizes that that's a problem, and it's all kind of strange because at the end you realize that maybe Yoda wasn't as wise as all that, and maybe he didn't know how to use his power, and, or maybe he was trying to protect someone. Maybe he was actually not so good either. So kind of interesting how it all fits together. If you look at it from a different point of view, just look at it from someone else's point of view, you can see how the story might take a different bent on it. So that's where we sat for, you know, a long period of time. Then there was another 10 or 12 years between the time the last movie came out, episode uh, 3, and the time that this new movie has come out, episode 7, The Force Awakens. Now here's where I'm going to have to say spoiler alert, because I'm going to say some things in here that are, that are probably going to spoil some of the movie for some of you who haven't seen it, so proceed at your own risk. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you might want to stop now. If you have seen the movie or don't care about what I'm going to say, then go for it and keep listening. All right, so... 
episode seven kind of picks up 30 years in the future. They did the right thing of saying, okay, it was the time when uh, the Return of the Jedi finished, so it would have been about 1984, and we're picking up in 2015. Everybody's aged. All the actors have aged about 30 years. They pick up the story in about 30 years in the future. It's perfectly timed that way. Now, J.J. Abrams has this thing he does. He, he tends to kind of reinvent storylines to a large degree. For those of you who are Star Trek fans, you know that he took the Star Trek franchise and rebooted it. He had a time travel thing happen, and they were able to reboot the entire franchise. In this case, he didn't do that. But what he did do is he did something like he did for the second Star Trek movie where he made the Wrath of Khan all over again. Here was episode four, more or less the same story being retold. Now you're reintroduced to Han and Leah, and uh, there's um, R2 and C-3PO. They're there in the story as well. Now R2 doesn't have a very large part. He's in uh, standby mode for a large part of the film. And you have this new character, BB-8, who comes on, and it's kind of, it's kind of clever the way that he comes, uh, comes along there. And you're introduced early on in a very dark scene to a uh, pilot who's supposed to be the best pilot in the galaxy. What happened to Wedge Antilles? I don't know. He was supposed to be the best pilot in the galaxy in Episode Six, But here he comes, uh, this new guy, Poe. He's the, he's the new guy, the new hotshot. And he's trying to collect some information about where Luke Skywalker is. Everybody knows the legend of Luke Skywalker. Nobody knows where he is. So he gets the, he gets the information, and there's a very dark scene that happens where uh, this, this new guy, Kylo Ren, comes in. And he kills everybody. And, you know, mercilessly just kills everybody. He's just an evil guy. And you have that moment where you think, wow, what, what in the heck is going on here? But then the story kind of evolves a little bit. Then one of the stormtroopers, who gives you a little bit of backstory on what a stormtrooper is and how stormtroopers came to be, tells you a little bit about that. And then he decides he doesn't want to be a stormtrooper anymore. He basically defects from the First Order. And they make an interesting parallel here because they talk about how the Sith first grew in Episodes 1 through 3. Then you have the Empire that grew in Episodes 4, 5, and 6. And now you have this thing called the First Order that's similar in nature to what they did. Then he meets up with Rey, who's this woman who lives on Jenku, this planet that's similar to Tatooine but isn't Tatooine. And let's be honest here. Rey is a badass. She's got a tremendous talent. And, you know, she's a great heroine, great role model, I would think. And uh, I just like to see a character like that come through in the movies. And they wind up working together, and they got, they've got BB-8, and they go off on their adventure, and they wind up stealing the Millennium Falcon, and then they get picked up by Han and Chewie, and, you know, the story kind of goes from there. Kind of interesting, you know, and then they wind up making their way to uh, Maz's place, and Maz is this thousand-year-old merchant or, you know, sage or whatever. And a friend of mine said to me, you know, it's kind of funny, because if, if you've ever seen the Star Wars Holiday Special... It's a horrible thing, and it's on YouTube if you ever want to see it, but if, you know, I don't recommend watching it because it's really long and boring and not that great, but there are a couple of kind of cute and clever scenes in it. There's one where B. Arthur, the woman who had played Maude in the TV shows, shows up in a bar, and she's, she runs the bar, and she does some things, and the bar is set up a certain way, and she winds up singing a song or something. Anyway, when you go into Maz's place, it feels like you're going into that same place that Maude was, or B. Arthur, B. Arthur was. And it's just kind of funny because there's a certain parallel to the original sort of storyline that goes on there. And when you meet her and she talks about the different characters and she helps you with the character development, she moves some characters along. And then Ray finds a lightsaber and she has some connection with it. And it's Luke's original lightsaber. Maz won't tell us where it comes from. So she touches the lightsaber and she has some flashbacks and there's some interesting things that happen. And she starts to understand the story of what happened to Luke and some things that went on. And from what I gather, there was actually a recording that they used of Frank Oz doing some of Yoda. There was some of Ewan McGregor doing young Obi-Wan Kenobi. And there's some of uh, Alec Guinness doing older Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, of course, 
Sir Alec Guinness died a couple of years ago, so they used some clips of his from uh, other films that they re-edited and spliced up a little bit to make him say slightly different things. But they used them, and those were some of the background noises you're hearing. Now, I didn't pick that out when I heard it, but I want to go back and watch it again and kind of hear that and see if I can pick out some of the things that they're saying and how they're saying it. Because apparently it kind of helps fill in more of the story of what happens and how we got here. So kind of interesting because you, you've got some things that are happening now and there's more happening in the story. And, you know, it goes from there. And then the story develops and it goes on for a while. And you wind up uh, finding out that Kylo Ren is actually Han and Leia's son. And I guess there's really no surprise there. You know, when I first saw Kylo Ren and realized that Luke Skywalker was not in any of the promotional materials, I kind of assumed that maybe Luke had turned to the dark side and that was actually Luke. But it turns out it's not. It's actually uh, Han and Leia's son, which is kind of cool and interesting in its own way. And uh, Han goes to try and rescue him. And the scene with them on the bridge, because this is a parallel to episode four, you could take the scene of Obi-Wan saying to Luke, your destiny lies along a different path than mine. And Han was doing the same thing when he went out to meet his son. And it was clear that by the time he was on the bridge, you knew that Han was going to die. It was just, you know, that was kind of a given. He just didn't know how it was going to go down. When he stands there and he says he'll do anything for him, and the son is so conflicted and he doesn't know what to do, and his father tells him, whatever you need to do, I'll help you. And he holds out the lightsaber. It's the, at that moment, you realize that's how he's going to die. Somehow he's going to die by that lightsaber, but, but you don't know how. And... You know, there's this look of recognition on Han's face, and then you see Kylo change his expression, and, you know, the scene just kind of goes from there. But Han reaches out and touches Kylo's face, which probably leads you to believe that there's a deeper meaning, and that'll probably come back in future films, that they'll do something to try to pull that out a little bit to, you know, make him more conflicted and more interesting and, you know, kind of have some other things going on. So, kind of interesting the way it kind of plays out. There's there's some neat interplay there when they uh, when they do that. And... You know, the story goes all the way to the point where we, we finally catch up with Luke at the end of the film. He's in the film for two minutes, maybe, where uh, Ray tries to hand him the lightsaber, and that's about it. You know, we know that Luke had some problems with Ben Solo, and Ben killed all his Jedi, young Jedi apprentices. So now we're set up for the next film. Now, what I loved about this film was the fact that it uh, really did a nice job of getting some good actors that really played parts well. It brought back some familiar elements from some of the original series, from the original trilogy, you had the original characters, and they were their same kind of quirky selves. Uh, they, ha- they did some things that were kind of fun, and, and they had their usual kind of interplay. They seemed to get along really well, and it was, it was kind of fun. And there was a certain charm to that. And even Admiral Akbar makes a return appearance, though he doesn't say, It's Trap! It was pretty good. I thought that was kind of nice to see him back there again. And uh, there were a few other familiar characters that you'll see. You'll hear some names, and you'll go, Oh, yeah, I remember him. And it was kind of, kind of neat the way they put it all together because there were some really good characters in there. I also like the fact that um, the real-life 501st, as we've heard from on this podcast before, they have a couple of appearances in the film. There's one scene where there's a shot of a, a logo, and it looks like the 501st logo. And there's at least one actor who, who was a person who was doing the cosplay in the 501st and appears in one of the scenes as one of the actors in the scenes. And I think that's kind of cool. They did a nice job of you know, bringing the people who really support the film into the film in some way. And I thought that was kind of a nice little tribute. It's kind of cool to see that. You know, you got to love the fact that, uh, that Disney really took it to heart. So it's on track to be one of the highest grossing films of all time. And it's already broken box office records during its first weekend and its first week, and it just continues to grow and evolve. And I think it's just amazing how well it's done. It's incredible to see a film do this well. And for, to a large degree, it lived up to the hype. 
I think one of the things I was afraid of was that somehow it wouldn't live up to any hype. There was so much hype. The hype machine was fantastic for this film. It, they did, Disney did a great job of marketing it, picking the right partners to work with, not letting too much of the storyline get out, kind of misdirecting a little bit in some of the promos and so forth just to make you think a little bit differently. But it all worked out. And I was fascinated by the film. I thought it was, I thought it was really well done. Now, on the other hand, my son didn't think so as much. He had some stronger opinions about why it didn't work and what he didn't like about it. He thought that they actually destroyed the franchise, that J.J. Abrams took it apart. There were too many little things, and it was all very small things, that just didn't work in the storyline. That uh, they kind of contradicted themselves within the movie and from the other movies. That they didn't do enough to kind of bring together all the storyline. And some things were just kind of unbelievable. Why did, you know, why did Ben Solo keep taking his helmet off all the time? Why did he give himself away? He knew that Ray was a force user. Why didn't he try to manipulate her in some way? Why did he leave her alone with one guard? You know, all of those things that kind of grew into something where he said, this just isn't right, I can't deal with this. And I get where he's coming from. But you have to have somewhat of a suspension of disbelief to take a story like this in. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in, I thought it was really well done, it was enough to hook me and say, hey, this is a good film. Was it the best one? No, but it might have been the third best. You know, episode four and five arguably won two, and this one might be number three. I'll have to go back and see it again to make a complete determination, but I think probably it is. I thought they did enough to really capture it and really bring it back together. And it was just an amazing story, I thought. I thought they did a nice job of kind of recreating, even though it was related to episode four, they did a nice job of kind of recreating it and bringing it all back together. Now, the device the First Order created, they called it the Star Killer. That harkens back to Luke Skywalker and his original name, Luke Starkiller. And I thought that was a very clever reference there, the way J.J. Abrams or the writers brought that together. So kind of cool that they were able to think that through and come up with something that was Death Star-like, but Death Star on steroids. The only problem I had with it was they were using the sun's energy and harnessing that to somehow create a large energy weapon. Okay, that's fine. You know, I'll suspend disbelief and go with that for a moment. But they had used it once before. Where did they get that sun's power from? Where, did that, where was that sun that they were able to take it from? It seemed kind of weird, a little hokey, that they were able to use it once before and then recharge it in some way if they were stealing the sun's power. Because it was a planetary object, after all, and there's no way they could have gone and gotten it again. Uh, it's one of those small details that just kind of troubles me a little bit, but it's not a huge deal. And J.J. Abrams was smart to bring in Lawrence Kasdan, who was one of the key people that was involved with The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Kasdan got involved because of an uh, untimely death of someone who was involved with the story. And he was involved with some of the script rewrites and making sure the continuity worked so that the story came together in the right way. And Abrams hired him to be in this movie to play that same role. So kind of fun and clever that he was there and he was a part of it. So that way they got the, the ball rolling again in the right way. Now there's some internet... Um fantasy that goes on around this, that people talk about, you know, what are some of the other elements of this? Because you have this guy, Snoke, who is, this, who is the evil bad guy, you know, the chief bad guy in charge. He was the uh, supreme leader. And who is he? And the question may be answered by the fact that in episode, back in episodes two and three, Darth Sidious, or the chancellor at the time, was talking about his former master who was looking at the secret to eternal life. And it's possible that Snoke is that guy, because he went out past the Outer Rim, according to uh, the Chancellor, and he was living out there. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know how the Chancellor rose to power to be the master. But somehow or other he did, while this guy went off and was doing, doing some other things. 
So it's possible that that's the case, that this is the guy, that he's really behind all of it. And there's some, you know, internet theories that perhaps he was responsible through some genetic manipulation for Anakin being born. So there may be some, you know, nice looping tie-in connection thing going on there between all the movies. We don't know. We'll find out in a future film, perhaps. But uh, kind of an interesting idea and an interesting premise. And, uh, you know, kind of ties it all back together. So I'm kind of, kind of interested to see where this all goes. But, and I really want to go see the film again. I mean, you know, you have that, that bombshell moment, you know, that's Han's son. And then Han gets killed. Whoa. You know, pretty incredible the way they played it out. The, like I said, it started off with a dark tone, but it got much more effective along the way. It just continued to build and got, got to the point where it felt more like a Star Wars film at some point, rather than just being this dark tome. Which is, you know, when it starts off and it starts that way, you kind of think, to yourself, wow, how, how is this going to go? How are they going to develop this? But I thought they did a nice job of uh, doing it out and having the characters be developed. And now you believe in Rey. You know she's a Force user. You know she's Force aware. And she's probably going to be the strong Jedi. And in all likelihood, she's probably Luke's daughter. Then you have this other guy, Finn, who left the First Order. And you wonder, is he Force aware too? Because he was able to use the lightsaber fairly effectively. Now, maybe that's because of his training, maybe not. Maybe he's related to somebody else in the uh, Star Wars lineage. Maybe he's related to another Jedi. You don't know. But kind of interesting to kind of look at it and go, well, there, I guess there's that possibility that something else may have come of this, that there may be some other connections that we can draw later. And I think that's the thing that fascinates me the most, is kind of looking at the little pieces between the stories and kind of filling in the blanks in my own mind and letting my mind work it over and noodle it over and figure out what's, you know, what are the connections here, because that's really where it's all fun. Because this is just a fun story. I think it's a, you know, I think it's a really well-written story group, all of them. You know, all seven episodes, I think, have been really, really tight, and I think they all kind of fit together to a large degree. If you look at the stories and kind of forget about some of the nuances of some little things that happen, you know, Charger Binks, uh, in the storylines, you can kind of make it all work. So back to a comment I made about good and evil, and who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. If you stop and take a look at the, the picture of everything, you know, I talked about it earlier on, but here, just to kind of finalize the thought, there was one scene where the there was a general from the First Order talking to his troops, and it's a very massive number of troops he's got out there, and he's talking to them about how they'll take on everybody and they'll win. You know, they'll rule the day. It has that, that moment, that feeling like somebody in our own history who would have been uh, bent on world domination, and everybody's following him. This is the same kind of thing where somebody's following him and, you know, following these guys and trying to get to something, you know, greater or win something out. But as Han points out, they're just using them to try and get to their end goal. And it makes you stop and think, well, you know, what are these guys up to? You know, what are they doing? Because maybe all of these guys aren't bad. Maybe it's some other people. And like I said, maybe Yoda was bad or maybe Yoda was connected in some way. You just don't know. And that's what makes it all so interesting. And you think about who's the, uh, who's the good guy here. We know we like our lead characters of Han, Leia, and Luke. And we know that they're generally pretty good, or we believe that anyway. I think that uh, the triumph of good over evil is still, you know, still to be played out here in, this, in the storyline. They're kind of interesting. You know, it's interesting. You look at how this was done and the fact that he did episode four when there was no CGI and he invented it. It's just amazing to me that he was able to do that. So there you go. That's my story about, uh, about Star Wars The Force Awakens. I really did enjoy it. I thought it was a great film. I really had a great time watching it. Um, I was fascinated by it. I was sucked into it. I found it to be really kind of fun. And I can't wait to see it again. I want to get back to the theater and see it again just to kind of take it all in. But I'll let myself you know, kind of just revel in it for a little while longer before I go and see it because it's just kind of fun to you know, let it roll over in my head and just let the storylines play out. And who, wait, what was he doing? Who was that? Wait, what, what, what just happened there? 
because sometimes you have to think back on those things and go, wow, those were kind of neat. There were certain elements to it that kind of still trying to figure out exactly who relates to who and how they, how they did different things. just one last thing before I let you go. This show is really a labor of love. It's something that I just enjoy doing. I like talking about Disney and I like to talk. As you may have guessed, the fact that I've been doing this podcast for some number of years and can talk about a wide variety of topics makes you believe that I, I like to talk. And I enjoy doing this podcast and meeting new people and kind of interacting with people along the way as well. So if you like this show, why not let people know that you enjoy Dave's Disney View podcast? And an easy way to do that is just to provide a review on whatever platform you're listening on. So go over to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever tool you're using and just give a review. It only takes a moment. Love it. Tell people about it. Well, that's my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. And may the force be with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 